will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? The price is wrong, bitch. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on this week's episode of the podcast, it is just a solo-hosted show by me, Patrick. Um, Leslie is busy in the process of launching her podcast, which her big first official episode, I believe, is releasing the same day as this. Um, But she has been doing a kind of run-up couple episodes discussing the first Four seasons of The Expanse, and those are available on YouTube and Podbean and I believe her website, which is lalunsford.com. So why don't you go ahead and go over there, subscribe, uh, you know, to whatever service you use, follow her on her website, follow her on Twitter at Leslie Monday Pod and show her some support and love. Uh, She's going to be doing some very interesting and great content. I know um, primarily she's going to be focusing on the sci-fi genre, um, as well as having some Patreon-exclusive shows where she is going through the Star Trek franchise starting from the original series and moving all the way through to Discovery. So I'm really excited to see what content she's going to be churning out. I've already listened to... Some of her first like zero episode discussing the expanse and I think everything sounds great and I love her perspective on things and I know she's going to be having video at some point. So uh, definitely, definitely go check her out. Follow, comment, share, subscribe, um, show her the same love that you show us on this podcast. So um, with that out of the way. This might be a little bit shorter form, especially since it's just me and uh, I have no one to bounce my crazy ideas off of. I'm going to be discussing two similar films in the horror genre. Um, Similar in the sense that they are both found footage and they deal with kind of 
one's more of a social media influencer and one's more of a, a vlogger who kind of vies to be a social media influencer. Um, but they both take very different paths in their stories. And, um, both are currently streaming on Prime for free, and I would just have to recommend both films, even despite some criticisms I might have about about both. Um, so those films are Followed and Death of a Vlogger. And I think one thing also that sets these two films apart is the fact that one is U.S.-based and the other is U.K.-based. So there's different... Um, styles and techniques used and of course you know a little bit with language in the sense of accents being involved and stuff like that um and like i said both of them take two very different approaches to how they present their story even with using the found footage format so um all right well let's go ahead and we'll start off with followed um so followed the premise of it is to gain more subscribers, a controversial social media influencer stays at a cursed hotel to terrifying results. So with that, uh, we'll go ahead and play the trailer. So why did you write about hotel limits? I began to understand why it was so frightening. After I learned more about its sordid history. Are you seriously going to ditch the vlog over one hotel? This is different. I also watch horror movies. That doesn't mean that I believe in everything that I see in them. You got me with friend ahead. <laughs> He's great, isn't he? What's up, minions? Drop the mic here. Many people don't know this, but real-life serial killer. In 1913, right here is the dumpster where David almost would dump his dismembered body. Shut up, Michael! I just had an incredible phone call. They just told me that if I can get 50,000 subscribers by the end of Halloween weekend... Okay, that's the hedge. Okay, it's in a hotel that the unenlightened claim is mildly haunted. Oh, you know, absolutely thrilled. We got a couple of security cams here, spy cam set up with a button. We are now entering the first layer of Dante's Inferno. From here on out, we're rolling 24 seven. What you bring into it, psychologically it matters, so. Um, guys? Guys? No, no, we're not in Kansas anymore. You guys know about the elevator ritual, right? You enter the elevator on the first floor alone. You then go to the following floors in this precise order. You go to fourth, second, sixth, it's open, and then fifth. Oh, a satanic symbol! What happens next? Apparently you enter the other world. Oh God, Michael, where are you now? I'm heading towards the hotel basement. I beg you, please get out of there. Who's there? What you don't get, Mike, it's not about them being real. It's about you provoking them. What was that? What just happened? Get your hand off me! You need way more subscribers, guys. Come on. I feel like you're in danger and I need you to come home, okay? I think I made a mistake and, and, I, and I have to finish. Why? Wait. 
All right. So that was the trailer. Um, hopefully that's got you a little interested in the film. And like I said, it is streaming on Prime for free if you are a Prime subscriber. Um, so it's not going to cost you any extra money if you check it out and you don't like it. So um, one of the things I really do have to kind of praise about this particular uh, film out of the two is its production quality. The production quality is of a very high standard, and for what I would assume is a fairly low budget, because um, found footage horror films tend to be low budget because they are easier to shoot on a shoestring budget. Um, I am not seeing what the budget is currently on IMDb, but I can tell you that you know it's. Worldwide gross was you know five hundred and forty eight thousand dollars. So if their budget is slightly under that, then you know it's if their budget was like a hundred thousand dollars, then they certainly made their money back. Um, but what one thing that is hard to get past in this movie is the main character himself, and not so much his character but as the actor. Um, and that is um, Matthew Solomon, who plays Mike. And what I mean by that is when the film first starts, because you're also getting the kind of unfriended perspective where everything starts opening up on a laptop and you're seeing as someone is using the laptop to upload these video clips to the quote-unquote drop the mic website, podcast, vlog, whatever have you. And, um, which I do kind of find it funny for people who are fans of host. Um, and I, there's not too many other films that I can think of that have done the, the computer format of telling the, the found footage film through the computer format, but everyone that just like praised host and I'm, I don't hate host, but I didn't like it nearly as much as everyone else did. Um, I thought it's it was very clever in this COVID world that we're living in right now uh, to shoot a film through Zoom, essentially. And I think it leans to a lot of creativity. Um, but one of my complaints about that film is the short runtime. Uh, so I, not that films can't be short. And I've seen a lot of people say normalize under an hour film, but the the problem with doing and I know this isn't we're not reviewing host, but um, but one of the problems with doing a film that's under an hour is spreading out the time for character development and then executing the scares and the rest of the overall story. And what I found in host that, that host didn't do well was establish its characters well enough for me to completely understand where they're coming from, their different perspectives, why they act the certain ways that they act. Um, and then, so when they start getting off one by one, I don't care about the characters as much. Um, I probably cared about maybe the main character in host, but not so much the ancillary characters because I didn't get to know them well enough. Um, but everyone that praised that movie, not, and not everyone, it's, it's an exaggeration, but, um, or a bit hyperbolic, but most people who praised host that I saw praising host were people who crapped on unfriended. And I'm like, 
Unfriended did it a lot better. You may not necessarily like the story or you may not like the actors, but it did better to establish its characters and, and understanding how they interact with each other. And so when they start meeting their demises, you kind of care a little bit or with with the jock, you don't care as much because you think he's getting his comeuppance. Um, so I, I followed follows that format um, of kind of establishing its character. Um, even though I don't particularly like the scenes, um, for instance, while I find the Michael Myers Halloween costume clever, I do not like how he portrays himself, how, how Mike portrays himself, uh, in that scene. Um, and just kind of the over the top, uh, zealousness and, and, uh, over excitement for things. Now to be a little bit fair on that, that is emulating fairly accurately how social media influencers and vloggers tend to act on their shows and on their YouTube channels because that's how they're trying to engage in more interaction and get more views and be clickbaity and blah, 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 blah. So although I didn't quite like that aspect of the film or of the actor, it did at least let me know more of who Mike is and how he interacts with his friends because his relationship with his best friend and his, and his uh, director of photography, like it feels genuine. They establish him and Chris and their relationship very well. Um, so you can kind of get the idea that he is a little bit of a jerk and a jackass who's trying to just, you know, make the quick jump to money as quickly as possible um, through sponsorships and, and everything. So it works in that sense. Just because I personally didn't uh, respond well to it doesn't mean that it's not accurate to what he's portraying or what he's trying to portray or what even the screenwriters are trying to portray in the story um, because it does very well establish the type of person that he is throughout the film. Um, but later on, like once you get to the hotel... Um, his character finally starts hitting a, a nice, um, uh, path for me. Um, in, in the sense of like, I, I can, I can tolerate seeing him on the screen. I can tolerate, uh, you know, listening to him talk and, and interact with the other characters. So, uh, I guess that's a, um, a very well done job in, in taking a character from the first probably 20 minutes of the film to me completely hating him and not wanting to see him on screen to then, you know, getting me to empathize with him a little bit, getting to have me understand more about him. Um, one particular scene that I also didn't care for, and it was possibly the writing, but I also think a little mixture of the acting too, because I think it just if it didn't feel genuine was uh, when his fiance is kind of announcing and it's very clear on. So this isn't really a spoiler or anything. As soon as the conversation starts, you should pretty much know where it's going. Um, when she reveals she's pregnant, his reaction, like although it's positive, it doesn't feel realistic. It feels very hammed up and cheesy and like it's written dialogue. The whole point with found footage, um, horror films is to give that sense of realism, uh, that these are real people interacting in daily life and that, um, none of it is 
written dialogue. And I, even though I kind of bashed Host a little bit before this, that was one thing that Host did very well. All the dialogue felt very organic in the film. So this particular scene did not feel organic. Uh, it felt like you could see the people writing the script. So, um, but that's just another minor thing. But the, the technical aspects of this film, the way it's shot, um, I th- I'm thinking of the beautiful drone shot of Los Angeles and, and just getting the, the nice B-roll uh, <coughs> cityscape shot uh, of it was fantastic. So that's where this movie really, really stands out amongst a lot of found footage horror films. Um, most have to rely, and Death of a Vlogger will... will um, rely on this a little bit, but they rely on kind of lower production values and and doing effective, but cheap, uh, scares or, or, uh, effects that although can be really cool, but you can still kind of, you know, extrapolate how they did it or what they did. Um, there's a lot of visual, um, changes in this film that that are really well done uh one scene in particular that i'm thinking of is um they are uh, sleeping in the hotel and uh the first the first time the head falls down they have a prosthetic head that they carry around as like a good luck thing or something um and you know mike gets up puts it back up they all go back to sleep but then Later on, the door opens up and then, you know, you don't see anything there. And then there's kind of a glitch and you can kind of see a person that's standing over the bed. Um, It's very well done. And there are a lot of those. And there's even one where the computer or the uh, camera is glitching out completely. And one nice little touch I found in this was their changing of the date because they're doing this. um, I believe this is even on this might be on night one uh, or night two. They think they start on the 29th, they go to the 30th, and they go through the 31st, um, something to that extent. But may, So maybe it's the second night, But the because I, I think it says 10, uh, 30, 2016, or 2017, one of, the, one of those two years. Uh, but then it starts jumping dates. Like, it goes to, like, the 70s, and then it goes to, like, December of blah, 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 blah. And it was, as it's glitching, and then it's showing an image from the basement um, I, I just found it to be a very cool technique, uh, and very well done in post-production. Now, in some essences, essences of what it lacks is its story while compelling is not fully developed. And what I mean by that is you have certain characters within the film acting certain ways and it's not quite explained what is going on with them or what connection they have. Uh, for instance, Nikki, who is their editor, who is in a completely different room, but is like staying up all night to edit all the footage that they shoot during the day. Um, she starts having some mental breakdown um, and you're under the assumption it is because of whatever is kind of the the entity that is following them around uh is causing it um but it's 
never fully explained. We don't see anything from Nikki's perspective uh, outside of her interactions with Mike and Chris and Danny. So <clears throat> we get a whole part of the movie that we don't know what's going on with that character. While that kind of maybe lends to some realistic um, aspects of if these were real people shooting a real thing, um, you feel like maybe Nikki would have a camera on her as well to document her working or, or something, something to the effect that we could see what was happening to her because there are instances where things happen to characters that we don't see on screen, but they happen in a way that they're like, it's, it's relevant or it's, it's happening as the camera's rolling and the characters then go and find him like Chris in the bathroom sequence like they hear Chris screaming, they break into the room and then they, you know, have to break down the door and he comes, comes out and he's, you know, in tears and, 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 you know, bleeding and he's explaining exactly what happened. Now we didn't see it on screen, but the scene is convincing enough that, that I, I, I believe it. And I believe that whatever terror he felt was real. So, um, that's kind of what I wished would have happened with Nikki because we get a couple scenes with her, like one with her nose bleeding, uh, and one where she's basically ready to jump out the window. And, um, we have no idea what's been happening to her. She doesn't quite explain it. And when she is trying to explain things, she's being manic, uh, and not making any type of sense that, us or the characters in the film can understand what she is talking about or what she is going through. Um, and then there's like the security guard who you think is kind of a good guy, but then he might have an ulterior motive. And that's another thing that's just not fully explained well, as well as like it's a cult that's kind of following them, but then it's not a cult. And then it's dealing with, something from Mike's childhood that, uh, kind of is foreshadowed. Um, and when it's revealed, it's, it's not really as impactful. Um, I wish that, uh, cause he's one of the best things about the movie and he has the, like the least amount of screen time is John Savage. Uh, John Savage is playing like a, a historian, um, who's written books on, on the hotel that they go to and everything. And he provides a lot of exposition for our characters prior to them going to the hotel and only some minor stuff while they're at the hotel. Um, and I wish that his character would have had more to do with the overall story. Um, but I'm sure it was, Hey, it's John Savage. We only have X amount of dollars we can pay him. So he can only do X amount of screen time, which is understandable. But I kind of wished more from him because he was doing so well with the material and with what he got. And I felt like had he shown up in the third act of the film, that that would have provided some more exposition or more understanding of what was actually happening. Um, so overall, uh, I, I really enjoyed the film despite some of the criticisms I've had. I, I, like I said, the production of this is very top notch. There are some really cool shots, um, some really cool effects. Um, like one that I can kind of think of is when he's chasing the kid down the stairwell or up the stairwell 
and then him being looped back down onto the floor beneath him, even though when he's not, I mean, granted, it's all done through cuts, so you can kind of figure out, okay, well, this is how they edited that, but um, another particular scene is Chris out in the hallway, and, like, the lights go out to basically the emergency lighting, and he sees a guy down at the end of the hall, and the guy's head just kind of leans back and back, back and back, and then it's too far back, um, and he kind of freaks out. So, like I said, there's a lot of really cool technical aspects to this film that I really appreciate, and I think that that elevates its material. Um, the story could have been a little bit better; it could have been tighter. Things could have been more connected because they're they're tackling like four different plot lines. Because you have the Megan Kim elevator thing, um, you have the David almost. Um, serial killer ghost angle you have a satanic cult uh angle um do you have mike's personal history angle that is also being looked at and none of it feels connected like i think the point is that these events are supposed to be connected and that his going to the hotel is supposed to serve some purpose especially when you get to the end of the film but it's never fully fleshed out and nothing's fully connected with each other. So with that said, I don't have much else to really talk about the movie. Um, I do think that there's also another kind of cool aspect is that as whoever's uploading this material, they're getting messages from Mike's friends and they're all asking, Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Hey, I'm sorry. I heard about what happened. Um, and you're not he that person's not really responding they respond kind of with a smiling and winky face uh and then they end up uh, at one point just ignoring it but one of the cool ones is there's this kind of it's annoying because i wanted to focus in on the conversation between chris and danny but cool also because it's reminding you that you are viewing this through the lens of a computer of a person uploading stuff from their computer and there's basically like a facetime skype call that comes up in the middle of it and the guy's talking and he's trying to think he's talking to mike and you know saying hey you need to turn the camera on and then like oh man i'm really sorry about what happened and then the person just closes out the the thing altogether so we know that whoever's uploading this they have some type of ulterior motive um and i also feel like the the um the sponsorship that that is uh, extended to him if he's to reach X amount of subscribers by the end of Halloween night by doing the Linux hotel that um, that that wasn't maybe a legitimate sponsorship that this is also something that was facilitating him to go to the hotel. But again, story wise, that's not really well fleshed out. Um, so. With that said, I think my score is going to land on... I'm going to be between a 2.5 and a 3. Um, I think that what really saves this movie as a found footage film is the technical aspect because I can't give it enough praise. I know I've talked about it in um, ad nauseum in my review on this, but the technical aspects of this film are amazing, uh, especially for found footage. Um, so 
it maybe needed some shore up work. Like, honestly, the characters of like Chris and Danny and Nikki and uh, the fiance, um, they're serviceable. Like they they're not bad actors. Um, They do well with the material that's given to them and they kind of face their logical conclusions throughout the movie so that there's nothing really that I have to comment on them. Mike is just the one that it's uneven, especially when it starts, excuse me, when it starts out. Um, But as I said, like once they're in the hotel and once things start kind of amping up, his skill or his acting uh, improves and keeps me entertained throughout the rest of the movie. So uh, it's it's definitely one of the better found footage films uh, that I've seen because I watch them like ridiculous because I have this strange fascination. I do like this kind of sense of uh, injecting reality, you know, and that that we have discovered this found uh, footage and we are now examining it for whatever reason. And we're experience, experiencing these events that happen to these people vicariously. And uh, so it's it's I like that kind of sense of realism. And, and uh, like even with the supernatural ones like Paranormal Activity or Blair Witch Project. Uh, and then there's some really good like kind of slasher ones. Um for reference, like evil things, which objectively is not a good movie, but something about it really drags me into it. And I, I love it for that. And I, I just, I can watch it over and over and over again, especially wanting to know more about the motivation of that person in that film. So, um, that, is what I really liked about this. I think that this brought a lot of new ideas and cool techniques that if others can replicate for other found footage horror films, that that could help elevate the subgenre of horror to a new level. I mean, you think about it, we cannibal Holocaust was like kind of one of the first ones. And then you get kind of a few ones here and there. And then once you get to like Blair witch project, that kind of upped the ante, especially with the marketing campaign behind it. And then you got Paranormal Activity, uh, and that kind of then raised the bar even further. So um, I feel like Followed is definitely one that is, um, in a way, kind of a stepping stone to elevating that subgenre more. So even though my score might be a little bit low on it, um, or average... Uh, I do think that the things it has to offer from the technical perspective and the technical aspects will help the subgenre grow and reach a bigger audience while also kind of keeping that shoestring budget that makes it easy to shoot these movie, these found footage films, um, but adding this kind of sense uh, uh, or style of complexity to it that will help make them more visible and more acceptable to a wider audience. So with that said, we will go ahead and move into a review of uh, death of a vlogger. And this one, I, um, I will say that before we get into the, into the trailer uh, is <coughs> uh, when it comes to comparison of technical aspect, it is, um, it is lesser than followed, um, but 
I think with what they do, um, actually with the story aspect helps it elevate it a little bit more um, overfollowed. So with that said, the, the premise of Death of a Vlogger is an ambitious vlogger experiences the dark side of the internet when his latest video, which features an alleged haunting, goes viral. So with that said, we will play you the trailer. Hey guys, Graham here. Graham. He's a fod. He would do anything if he thought it would make people laugh or advance his persona or whatever. He's an asshole, but he's my asshole. But yeah, I was going to be answering your questions as they came in. Aaron? Obviously, I've seen a lot of paranormal activity in my time. Aaron convinced me to come back to investigate the ghost. This alleged ghost that exists in his flat. There's something definitely weird going on, right? I've been doing this job for 10 years. I've never seen anything quite like that. The fact that anyone over the age of five thought these hauntings were real sums up what's wrong with society today. It okay. You. It was you. No. You're losing it, man. The fact that they were presenting it as real there were some people that really bought it, and it really hurt them. Oh my God! It's okay, it's okay, just keep filming. Thank you. Oh. Who's to say what's real, what's not? And did you believe him? I do now. So that was the trailer. And so one of the things that I think immediately is a huge difference between what I um, liked about this versus what I didn't like about uh, Followed was the main actor, Graham, who is also, I believe, the yeah, he is the director and writer of this is very well done and very well portrayed. He feels very real. Um, he feels flawed and a lot of the dialogue again, feels very organic, um, throughout pretty much the entire film. Um, and other, the other main difference kind of standing out between the two films is that it's, it's budget seems to be that of a little bit smaller than, than followed. Um, but what I will say is this also takes a different as uh, a different aspect of found footage is it creates it's doing the documentary aspect where it's not so much as found footage as it is uh, someone re- kind of reporting on the events that occurred um, and especially when this is dealing with a supposed haunting and uh, kind of the social media fallout over everything that kind of occurs in the film. Um, and we might get into mild spoilers on this, uh, just because it'll be easier to talk about kind of the aspects of the film I didn't, I did, or I didn't like. Um, so if you don't want any of this spoiled, uh, just go ahead and, and stop listening now, go check it out on prime. It's also free on prime right now, uh, and watch it and then come back and listen to the rest of this episode. So you have been warned. 
Um, so kind of the whole speculation being that this haunting was faked. Um, and this haunting clip or video went viral and like he wasn't ever kind of a big like YouTuber or anything like that prior to this. He would just do videos and have fun with it and so on and so forth. And then he does this one video after an eye surgery that kind of got botched a little bit. So he's kind of blindfolded until his eyes heal, um, resulting in him doing kind of a a YouTube video talking about that, but then stuff happening in his uh, apartment that then leads to people believing that this was the first like real evidence of an actual haunting that occurred. Um, now there is evidence provided later on in the film that it was potentially faked and there is conversations about, you know, them faking it. Um, but considering how the rest of the film plays out, I'm not entirely sure. Like, it's never clear. And I don't know if I like that or if I dislike that. Um, it is one aspect of the story that I do think needs some expounding upon and uh, and needs to be understood better. Um, but again, Graham really sells this movie for me. Um there is, and, and this might verge close on on the level of politics um, or certain ideologies that people may agree or not agree with. And I don't mean this to be disparaging to any group or, or people, um, but one huge problem, and I, and I think you're not meant to like her character, but the character of the reporter, I believe her name is Alice in the movie. Uh, she makes a lot of comments and a lot of observations that are part of the problem of where we are at in 2020 as well now 2021 uh, as kind of a world, not so much as any one country, because it's more of a worldwide thing. Obviously, this is in the UK. I'm, you know, based in the US. Um, so this, you know, follows these kind of gender politics and progressivism and observations that um, that I find to be part of the problem. Like her herself, even though her goal is to disprove this haunting and to, to point out all the fakes because they're doing real harm in the world, a lot of what she does is doing the exact same thing. And for instance, what I'm talking about is that she's trying to you know expose Graham as a liar she has the documentary uh, documentarians um, over and she tells kind of an Annabelle story about the stall and um, then sets up like kind of this elaborate prank that makes the the crew think that that doll is actually haunted. And then she's do uses it as a justification of see, this is what they're doing. But like, they're, they're lying. And I'm like, but you did, you did the same thing. Like I get what you, what you're doing and I get what you're talking about, but you still could have done that by saying, well, here, if I were to do this, this is how I would do it. I would set up a convincing story. I could have a speaker here behind my wall that would play some noises. I have this motorized, um, doll that I can make 
jump off the shelf. Like, and so if you concoct a scene like this, this is how you can elaborately convince somebody of a haunting. But instead, she lures into the the crew into this thinking of that this doll is haunted, but not really haunted, and that someone else had this ulterior motive, but then do the exact same thing that she's accusing Graham of doing to his YouTube audience. Um, and then she also makes some very disparaging comments about um, how, and I mean, I, I, I see where she's coming from, and I don't necessarily belittle it or denigrate it, but about the comments of being a, a woman on the internet and how they are received. And, well, yes, that happens, usually from what I what I've seen and I try to stay out of this stuff because I don't like engaging in any type of mud mud slinging mud throwing um, vulgarity throwing back and forth if I'm gonna disagree with someone um, someone's ideology or someone's perspective or someone's opinion I'm gonna come at it from from facts or I'm gonna come at it from where I'm standing from and articulate it in a, an educational or in a uh, respectful manner. So when she talks about getting like the rape threats and stuff like that, I, I know that happens. I've seen enough people on Twitter that, you know, talk about the DMS that they get or talk about, well, I took this stance on this film and this is the response I got. But I have also seen the reverse happen where those people who have those platforms will then initiate those interactions to those that they deem are of the wrong opinion or of the wrong side. And, you know, that old adage, uh, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got them. That's really the truth. Like just because you think that X, Y, and Z is true does not mean that because I think of ABC is true. It doesn't mean that either one of our positions is necessarily right or wrong. There are those few things that are kind of set in stone that everyone can agree is right or wrong. But when it comes to an opinion based format, especially when it comes to film criticism and stuff like that, a lot of that is just opinion based. You can defend your, your position, um, but it should never devolve into name calling and, 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 and threats or anything like that. And, and again, to kind of take it a step further, like of, of the last of us part two. And I'm a huge fan of the last of us. I love the first game. I got the second game. I didn't have as many of the issues like with, with what happens with Joel in the game or anything like that, uh, or how Ellie goes on her, um, on her truck. I did have a problem with certain forced elements of the game and, and Abby, although I know a lot of people love her character personally, she, she didn't grow on me. Uh, there were a lot of things I found inconsistent about her, about her character model and about how her story evolves throughout the game. And I didn't like having to play as her through a good chunk of the game, especially because I couldn't, I couldn't empathize with her character like Ellie. I can empathize with Ellie. I can understand Ellie. I can, I, cause I've spent one other game getting to know Ellie and develop a character with her and an understanding of her. Whereas with Abby, it's someone that's thrust that feels 
like outside forces are kind of pushing certain ideologies or representations and, and and agendas. And honestly, in my opinion, anything that is meant to be entertainment should not have agenda come first. And that's where this character really feels like she's kind of the representation of that mentality of certain peoples on Twitter. Now I will say there are plenty of people I follow on Twitter that I respectfully disagree with certain aspects or certain ideologies that they represent, but I still like following their content. I still think they have valid voices of opinion to present on things. So I don't let that as long as they're not, as long as someone's not trying to force something down my throat, I have no problem engaging and listening to those other ideas because much like if you heard our review of The Mandalorian in the last episode, you know, it took Leslie kind of opening my eyes to even realizing that there was a four woman fire team, in, uh, you know, working their way to the bridge of Get Moff Gideon's ship. And I, because it was done well and the story was compelling and the action was compelling and it wasn't something that was forced down my throat. And other than the one night owl or, or whatever that that sect is called, you know, Bo-Katan, I've I've grown through with Clone Wars and Rebels. Uh, you know, Cara Dune is, you know, from, you know, the first season we got her established as a character and her motivations and where she comes from and her, you know, failings and shortcomings. Um, so. When it got to that scene, nothing felt forced, nothing felt out of the ordinary. It's when you put the agenda first, and Star Trek Discovery is one that's very much done this, because um, inherently, Star Trek itself is a progressive show. But I can go back and watch Star Trek the original series, Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, DS, DS9, which is one of my favorites and is arguably the most political out of the entire um, Star Trek canon, I can watch those and go, okay, well, they're still telling telling a story without putting their agenda forefront. They will put things in there, and, and this is what I'm talking about, the subtlety. That's what's missing from modern entertainment. It's also the access of technology and and this goes again i know i've deviated a little bit from talking about the movie but this kind of comes back around when graham is kind of exposed as a faker then the the online backlash that comes and you know people telling him to go kill himself and and stuff like that which i believe is abhorrent behavior i i I that's that's the side of things like even if I disagree with you politically or ideologically, I'm never going to, you know, lower myself to that level because that's that that doesn't help anyone. That doesn't help the discussion. That doesn't help the discourse. And what whether this reporter in this movie realizes it or not, she facilitates that. I mean, she even as they're sitting down and doing the interview and she's kind of you know, um, grilling Graham over everything that happened. She brings up the whole, the shame 
and that, well, if they find out that you're faking it, the shame's going to be really bad unless you come out and, and get ahead of it. And of course, then the video gets leaked of them talking about faking it. And then she writes her article. And then all of a sudden he's getting attacked. He's losing his friends. He's going into isolation. He's going into depression. And all the meanwhile, the haunting that was fake or supposedly fake is real and gets increasingly worse. And he feels in an ever more isolated world, even with the Internet, because everyone now hates him. And it's all through the motive, the self motivations of this j- journalist. And so I feel like the intent and I'm not talking about the actress because the actress is playing the character. And I think she does a very well job of playing this very hateful character. Um, I think that that's part of the intent that the, the writer director had with this character, because it is, it it contributes to the isolation uh, idea. He's not leaving his flat, but then he's dealing with the ever increasing haunting. um, And, he doesn't have really errand to bounce things off of the uh, quote unquote paranormal investigator that's helping him out. That's a complete sleazeball. And he's meant to be a sleazeball. Uh, and he is meant. And I think that, again, I think this is the intent of the writer director is that like, although she might represent this certain contingent of either the internet or journalist, uh, Steve, the paranormal investigator represents the opposite side of it because for him, it's all about profit. It's all, how can we lie to people? I mean, there's even a whole segment where, Oh, this mic got left on and he's, and he's trying to sell Graham on how to make more money on how to be clickbaity and, 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 uh, and, and, uh, exploit the idea of fake news and stuff like that. So, um, it, it never makes a conclusion about which side of these is right. I think that that's, again, an, an individual interpretation of the film. You might side with the journalist, and if you do, more power to you. If you understand where she's coming from better than I can, I can't complain that you think her character's more in the right. Honestly, no one's good in this movie. I mean, that in, in the sense of a no one has an... Everyone has a, a gain. Graham is the only one in the sense of, okay, he had he had an agenda with putting out the viral video, whether it was fake or not. But once everything spiraled out of control, he, he wanted nothing to do with it, as uh, my Siri watch decides to go off. Um, he wanted nothing to do with it. He wanted to just go back to normal. Aaron kind of helped him along, but then she takes kind of a step away. It's all Steve wants to exploit him for money, and she wants to exp- – uh, the journalist, Alice, wants to exploit him for uh, shaming and showing you know, his greed and, and him being on the wrong side of things. Um so there's these two different ideologies and he's kind of caught in the middle and certainly doesn't have any other agenda after the inciting incident. Um, in fact, all he's trying to do is get back to a good headspace, which by the end of the movie doesn't quite work out for him. Um, so sorry to kind of go on a complete different rant, but I really had a strong reaction to her character, to the journalist, because I really felt like, 
she's as much as a slime ball as Steve is in the sense of she wants to exploit Graham for her own clout and to show her moral uh, righteousness, you know, whereas Steve is just trying to exploit him for more money that I'm this internet celebrity and I'm going to blah, 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 blah. Um, So where it doesn't quite work in the story is trying to make its conclusion uh, and for the documentary uh, rather uh, of whether or not this was all completely fake. Like I said, um, I, I'm not, st- I'm still on the fence. I don't think that the initial haunting, even though Alice provides certain evidence and Graham himself ends up saying faking, uh, it was faked. Um, Aaron never quite, commits to the idea that they were faking it. They, now, the 360 camera thing, uh, which I think is cool but weird also at the same time because of, you know, it was done by a three v, 360 VR camera, and I'm wondering if they just couldn't get it to look right um, doing it to a 2D format for a film that they, you know, talked about while well, they flattened it out and everything um, for the documentary. But I I uh, I really kind of like that scene. But she kind of admits there that she helped fake that along, and I can understand that second thing being more of faking it because of trying to get more viewers, trying to make the next viral video. And okay, well we can't get we can't recreate what happened, um, but we will you know, up the ante by doing these weird techniques. Uh, and it, maybe the first incident was, was fake too. And then by the seance that Steve performs, um, that is what actually causes the entity to awaken and to start haunting, uh, Graham. So it's never really conclusive, uh, conclusive on that. I was going to say the other word, but I can't really speak it right now for some reason. Um, so, Uh, it's never fully the documentary. Now the videos that Graham puts out and that we watch via the documentary is all convinced that he is being haunted. Uh, but the documentary just kind of takes this middle of the road stance of saying, well, we don't know. Uh, but here's where Graham's at now and blah, 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 blah. Well here, uh, you know, Alice found this information out and made these allegations, but no one's willing to comment on the allegations and whether Steve and Graham had a connection prior to, uh, the viral video and the paranormal investigator stuff. Uh, that's kind of all up in the air, especially it would make sense why he would have the keys to Graham's flat. Um, but Graham also kind of being like, Hey, I want my keys back. I don't know why I ever gave them to you. If this is someone, you know, really well, you know why you gave them keys to your apartment. So, you know, it's never, that's the weakest part of the story. I think is that they just never come out right and say, was it faked? Was it real? Or was it fake from the start, but then it turned real. And that's what happens ultimately to Graham is the haunting. Now, again, Technical aspect wise, it's a lot lesser than followed was, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have some effective shots. One in particular is Graham recording a video and uh, you can see the spirit behind him and the spirit's always kind of like in a, in a bed sheet and he turns around um, and sees her and then the sheet just drops 
you know, into nothingness and all in one kind of like shot. I'm sure there were edits and cuts and stuff like that. You just can't tell. But I always find those shots really cool and really effective. Uh, taking me back to Paranormal Activity 3 with the ghost and the bedsheet and the babysitter. And, she, you know, she thinks it's one of the kids and then it just drops into nothingness. And, and it's a whole what the hell moment. Um, and then there's the hand hand through the wall um, uh, sequence near the end, which is also very effective. One of the other things is him trying to leave the apartment um, near the end, and he keeps opening up the door, and he's standing in his kitchen. Now, again, it's probably just a very good editing trick, but it's done so well that you can't quite tell the cuts, and it's very effective, and he does it like six times. Uh, before actually getting out. And then it's followed by another another equally impressive shot of him going down the stairwell, but then coming across the same bike, meaning he's made no progress. And by the, like the last time he comes around the stairwell, he's back at the, at the front door of his, of his flat. Um, so it's, it's just, even though, from the technical aspect, it's not as polished or as cool or as fancy as what Follow did. It's part of, again, why I like certain found footage films where they're able to do these cheap, effective techniques and still get the get the point across or get the convey what the what is happening or the terror that that is being felt there of you know coming through and you're still in your kitchen even though you've gone out your front door several times um so this one i think i ended up liking a little bit more even though i think it needs some more uh a more polish a little bit more fine-tuning um but the story is more consistent uh i didn't quite like certain comedy aspects on it not not his comedy videos that they're kind of showcasing at the beginning um but a lot of steve's scenes are, are meant to be comedic and I think the actor does fine, but I don't think like his comedy necessarily comes across well. Um, so it, it's part of the film that didn't work for me. But I think that story-wise, it's a little bit stronger. It leaves you wondering a little bit more, especially from its very kind of shocking end. Um, and I, I just I have to recommend it. I recommend both films. I still enjoyed them despite my criticisms and despite certain reactions I might have had to certain characters, um, especially in Death of a Vlogger. But I, I still really enjoyed both films. Highly recommend them if you're a fan of found footage horror films um, or just horror films in general. I think they're effective. They're very accessible and i think that uh you would enjoy them so i think that's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast uh again sorry for my rant uh it's just that was kind of the reaction that her character really drew from me uh and it's something that i see happening a lot especially out on social media and kind of since this film deals with social media it's it's kind of relevant to the discussion um I I just I always find it's better to not engage in those type of things. And I'll give a give a quick um, anecdote of something that happened with me. Now, uh, as my friends know, all well, like four of them, uh, I am a fan of the Michael Bay Transformers films. 
Do I think that they are cinematic masterpieces? Absolutely not. Do I think that they're well-written? Absolutely not. But I like the visual effects. I like seeing the Transformers, and I like seeing the big bombastic battles that they have. And um, last night, the last night, the one before Bumblebee, which arguably Bumblebee is the best of the the Transformer movies, which I still... Of the to this day, shocked that I I enjoyed Bumblebee so much because I was sitting there wondering why do we have a spinoff with this character um, when it turned out to be kind of a soft reboot uh, and they stuck a lot to the core of the original Transformers. I, I really appreciated that. But um, and back to the point, um, High Def Digest, which is a, a uh, website and Facebook page, and they review a lot of, you know, like 4K movies, Blu-rays, uh, and, and movies in general. They do movie reviews, and they do equipment, and they review TVs, they review sound systems, stuff like that. And I really respect them, and I really follow their content, and I've, despite even though I had this kind of reaction uh, to one of the things, and I got into a little bit of a disagreement with them, uh, I... Uh, and even in my post, I said, I, you know, despite my disagreeing with you, I'm still going to follow your page because I, I really like the stuff you put out. So despite we have this one disagreement, um, I, I can look past that. And what they did is they wrote a review on last night and in the title of their review was they're going to keep making them unless you stop seeing them. And I, I admittedly, and I even admitted it in my, my, my post to them uh, when they responded back, I did not read the review, all of the review. Um, but that was enough to tell me what their review was about. And this kind of goes into the overall critics, not cynics uh, mission is to be critical, but to not be cynical um, that you can point out things in a movie that you don't like, but yet provide an analysis of it that, you know, you can, you can balance out what you didn't like with what you liked and whether or not you can recommend the movie based on, on that and not just trashing a movie for trashing a movie. And so I said, well, hang on, that's a little disingenuous. You know, you should, uh, there are one, there are people that work on these movies, whether, and I'm not talking about the actors cause they do get paid way too much, but you've got a crew, you know, you got directors of photography, you got cinematographers, you got editors, you got grip boys, best boys, blah, 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 everyone on a crew. And if they were to not make another movie or necessarily another transformers movie, that's, that's a job they don't have. Um, they, you know, their, their livelihood is contingent upon being able to make movies. And do I think that there are certain movies that probably shouldn't have been made? I'm looking at you, the interview, uh, sure, but I'm not ever going to, even if I dislike a movie so much, like I will never watch the interview. I'm never going to actively go out there and tell somebody they shouldn't watch this movie. Another one that I don't really want to care to watch is uh, Call Me By Your Name or whatever it's called. The one with uh, Timothy Chalamet and, um, oh God, I can't remember his name, but I hate him. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of him at all. Um, it, just because it's a movie not for me doesn't mean it's not a movie for someone else. So I'm not going to to tell somebody. Be, I, I can control what I watch and what I don't watch. 
So uh, I can I will never try to enforce my personal beliefs or my personal feelings about a movie onto other people or denigrate them for enjoying those movies. So that was my kind of simple thing is I think that's not really cool to, t- to, to tell people not to go watch a movie. And then they said, well, we didn't so we are review. We didn't say don't go watch this movie. I said, well, OK, to be fair. Yeah, I didn't quite fully read your review, but you're saying if if you want them to stop making these movies, you got to stop seeing them. So that's still the implication of, OK, if you want these movies to stop, just stop. Stop going to them. Let's have them not make any money uh, and let them be box office failures. So they'll stop making them. Um, because there are people out there who can enjoy them for what they are, dumb, mindless action films to just turn your brain off. So I had written, you know, that's a paraphrasing of what I wrote, and I wrote this years ago, so I don't remember exactly word for word, but High Def Digest was very respectful about my opinion. And I, like I said, I said, you know, despite, you know, this disagreement, I'm, I'm a fan of your page. I like the stuff you turn out. You keep me informed of stuff that's coming out. Um, and I'm going to keep following your page. Uh, and they thanked me for that. But then someone else comes out there and they go, well, mindless or brainless entertainment only entertains the brainless. And that's a very reductive argument, um, especially especially now in 2021 after living through the year of 2020 and COVID and uh, just trying to find means of escaping kind of the crazy world we find ourselves in right now. Entertainment can be brainless and people can enjoy brainless entertainment and still yet be either smart or intelligent or discerning on or critical on on films and TV shows um, just just because they might watch some trashy TV show or they're a fan of daytime soaps does not mean that they are intellectually uh, lacking. So and this still kind of falls into everything I was talking about with with uh, death of a vlogger and that journalist like um, and, and I'm not going to find credence in your art in your argument if you can only give me a one sentence ooh soundbite clip burn bro I mean I had written a, a paragraph analysis of how I felt about last night and what it did for me and just the idea of just being simple entertainment. There was no politics involved. There was nothing that, you know, COVID relate. Well, of course it wouldn't have been COVID. It predated COVID, but you know, nothing that is going to constantly remind me of COVID or, or, uh, just the state of the world politically, economically, socially, just something that is what entertainment is meant to be an escape from reality. Um, I'm not going to let somebody who can't, can't refute what I've said in a paragraph long statement with a, with a one sentence phrase because, all right, yeah, that's a cool soundbite, but what can you tell me is wrong about enjoying entertainment? That's, that's maybe not trying to send a message or be the next Oscar winning picture. My, my 20, my my best auction, best Oscar picture nominee, if I were in the Academy Award, would be going to Fat Man right now because, as ridiculous 
as that premise of that movie is, and as ridiculous as the actual movie is of itself, and of itself, it is the most fun I've had watching a movie in a long time. It was just you had a ridiculous script, you had a ridiculous story. The cast knew it, yet the cast still played it as straight as possible. So there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, yeah, it's not going to be for everybody. It's not going to be for art film fanatics. And I like art films, too. Birdman is one of my favorite uh, art films. Uh, 2001 Space Odyssey is another one that's up there. I, I mean, I own a few of them myself. I can't name them all off the top of my head, but... Um, Jim Jarmish would be kind of considered an art house film director um, with some of his his more independent cinema. Um, Paul uh, or no, Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, um, you know, the Royal Tenenbaums. Those are all kind of still considered kind of art house flicky films. Nothing too crazy, but there's nothing wrong I mean, honestly, when it comes to genres of films and people are either I'm a I'm just a straight up action genre fan or I'm just a straight comedy fan, I can appreciate just about every genre. Romantic comedies aren't my favorite, but there are certain ones that I really like. And one that comes to mind is when we first met uh, on Netflix with Adam Devine and um, Alex uh, Alexandra Daddario. Uh, it, it was one of the nice, you know, heartwarming films and um the, 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 over Christmas, that was one that was just a very nice kind of heartwarming um, thing. And uh, even Home Home for Christmas, which is another um, series that was on Netflix. It's a Norwegian series. You know, even though I'm not big on the romance stuff, it was it was cute. It was enjoyable and it was fun. And so there are there are values to every genres of film. Um, so if you're just completely dismissive of one genre just because these three movies I watched in that genre aren't good, um, therefore nothing is good in the entire genre is 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 wrong. I'm sorry. There there just is no sugar coating that. Um, you at least need to give the film a shot. And again, if you're a discerning audience and you're just like, well, this. I watched the trailer. I've read about the film. There's no one in the cast I really want to see uh, in this movie. The, the story doesn't seem compelling. Uh, maybe I'll check it out on Redbox or Netflix. I've done that plenty of times uh, with films that I've not been so sure about. I've waited till it gets out on streaming, and then I watch it, and then I find out I quite enjoy it. And I'm also removed from the Rotten Tomato score or the IMDb score. Now, funny enough, uh, which I realize I haven't given my score yet of Death of a Vlogger, IMDb for both Followed and Death of a Vlogger, they are both 5.0s. But I will give uh, 5.0s out of 10. And since I don't do my scale out of 10 because I'm weird... uh, I'm going to have to give Death of a Vlogger a 3.5. Um, it, it just it did some things a little bit more, even though Followed, again, was the more technically polished movie. I still found myself enjoying Death of a Vlogger a little bit more and finding a little bit more realism to it. So, um, But I've ran it on long enough. Uh, this episode probably went far, far too long than I intended it to be. Uh, but with that said... Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, Leslie's podcast is launching 
today, the 4th of January, or is it the 4th of January? Yes, it is the 4th of January. Um, with the first, I believe, episode review of season five of The Expanse. If I have that wrong, I'm sorry, Leslie. I just know that that's what you're planning on covering. She also has released short reviews of seasons one through four up on her YouTube and her, uh, I'm, I believe it would be on, I, or she's not on iTunes yet, but she is on Podbean. I know her intent is to get everything up on all of the platforms that we are on. Um, but you can follow her on Twitter at Leslie Monday pod. Uh, her, uh, YouTube channel is, you know, the same Leslie, Leslie Monday podcast. Uh, if you want to, you know, tune in and listen to them there. Uh, I know that the current things that are on there are not video related, but she is doing, going to be doing video content at some point, but please go show her some support. Um, especially if you support us, uh, you know, share the love. Uh, and with that said, you can follow us on Twitter at critics NT cynics, right into the podcast at critics, not cynics at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon. Uh, I don't know if we're on Audible Podcasts yet or not. Um, And please, if you would, rate, review uh, the podcast on whatever service you're using. It just helps us get spread out there. Um, I think that we're, you know, starting to find a a pretty decent audience. You know, the numbers always kind of look good or look to be improving and I'm always appreciative of it. And even if we were only getting one listen a day, I like talking about this stuff and I like getting it out there. And I know Leslie has mentioned it on her first episode of the podcast. It's just really kind of nice just to be able to discuss these things and, and, and interact with people or have conversations with people who view it one way and you view it the other. And you guys can kind of find some common ground or, or respectfully disagree, disagree with everything. So, um, with that said, we will talk to you guys next time.